Let's open the Word of God to Galatians chapter 6. Thank you for singing, Blessed Be the Tie. Wow. I don't want to church anything less than Acts 2, 41 through 47. And not for me, though I'll benefit, but for the Lord Jesus Christ and for all of you. To have the joyful opportunity to come in here and to praise the Lord together. To hear the voice of singing, the voice of gladness. To hear the prayers that we heard in the back room this morning. To step into that room and see 40 to 50 brothers that are there on the Lord's day with us immediately. All it takes is two seconds of seeing 50 brothers that have come out together early on the Lord's day that want to serve Him in spirit and in truth. It's a blessing in two seconds. Then to hear them pray, then to come in here and hear the singing, to hear a little adopted daughter Brittany behind me switched to the Elto and blessed be the tie and felt like she was hugging me because it was just so precious. Uh, I'm a simple creature. To hear my son Philip talking about seeking the Lord day and night and pursuing Him and having a passion for Him. Lord, help us. Bless us. Grant us the desires of our hearts and of our prayers this morning. Galatians chapter 6. Now my brother Stephen, and he prayed right and well that I would pull down the strongholds of your heart and cast down all your imaginations that are contrary to the Word of God, but I don't want to do a whole lot of pulling down of the temple of Dagon this morning. I want it to be an upbeat, positive, glorious day, thinking about what a church should be like and how easy it would be for us to make our church that way and our lives as we spread our influence in the world. Yes, I'm obsessed with this subject because our religion is two. If you want to know if I'm obsessed with the first part, why don't you go check out the length of a series called Understanding and Knowing God. Uh, He is altogether lovely. If you want to make sure that I have a balance here. Because I will tell you what comes first. But there's our religion is very simple, so I'm obsessed about two things. That we love God and that we love one another. That we do well toward Him, that we do well toward all men. We have this text. It's one of the verses in the New Testament that we don't quote very often. And so by the end of today, you'll know it pretty well. Hopefully if we say it a few times. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Amen. Amen and amen. As we have therefore opportunity, you have opportunities all the time. Because every person you meet is an opportunity. Whether it's a person in here or a person out there, whether it's a person at work or a person at play, whether it's a person cutting the grass or a person at the store, it's an opportunity. And I want to preach the subject today this way, as an opportunity. I don't want to pound you, I want to encourage you. I want to excite you. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever met a person God didn't want you to meet? It's impossible to do. So every person you've ever met, the Lord's arranged the meeting. We laugh, we rejoice at God matchmaking with Adam and Eve when He woke Adam up from that nap. And uh, there was Eve. 
and she didn't have much on, and uh, she wouldn't have been a six. And the Lord tapped him on the shoulder and said, what do you think? And we, we laugh, we rejoice, and the laughter and the rejoicing is holy and righteous. But every person you've met is, has been arranged for you the same way by the power and providence of God. Every person, every customer, every person in front of you on their cell phone, texting, erratically driving in front of you, everyone. Can we do good? As the verse says, we might say do well today, but the Bible says do good. So I go with the Bible. Will we do good to them all? As we have, therefore, opportunity. So it's an opportunity. Everyone in this church is here because God chose them for you to be a fellow church member with you. Let me chase a rabbit for a minute and tell a story. I hardly ever do it. So mark your calendars that we had a story in 2016. There's a young lad here, Timothy. (laughs) Okay. His great-grandfather was my first boss. He was a uh, in the mason construction business. I carried bricks, made mortar, helped pour cement, and so forth as a high schooler. Now, I remember when we would do a stone job, and I don't mean going to some Lowe's and buying stone that's not, I don't even know if it's real stone, cut in one-inch slabs. I'm talking about stones. And I'm talking about a mountain of them delivered to a, to property for someone wealthy enough to build a two or three story chimney from stone. Go get me a stone. So I'd go get a stone. I'd, you know, teenagers, I would try to manhandle it back to them or put it in a wheelbarrow and bring it to them. Oh no. Get another stone. Okay. Off to get another stone from the big stone pile. Eventually, he'd find a stone that he liked. Bring it up here. Get it up that scaffolding. He'd have a sledgehammer and he'd bust it in half. You know, he'd get that flat, smooth side facing out on split field stone. Beautiful, beautiful fireplaces and houses that we built back in Michigan with him. But uh, what's my point of that little story? Because I saw Timothy this morning and he reminded me of his great-grandfather. Every stone in this house God personally picked and said, that's the one I want. And he has fit it together. It's a living stone in the house of our God. Every person sitting around you and the ones you like the least are the ones he chose the best for you. And that's, let's just, let's just embrace the fact. We love the sovereignty of God and we love his providence. Let's trust his sovereignty and his providence in the thing of who's sitting around us. Have you ever met a person that God didn't want you to meet? No. Okay. Third time. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men especially unto them who are of the household of faith. The city of Jerusalem for a while was very favorable to the early church. They found favor with them because a Christian's life should be to find loving favor of other men, even unbelievers. The Bible tells us that Jesus grew 
in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. David grew in favor with God and men. God said he's the man after my own heart. 600 Gittites followed him as his bodyguards. If you will carefully study the organizational chart of David's mighty men, he had 600 Gittites that were his personal secret service. They were Philistines. But they weren't just any Philistines. They were Gittites, meaning they were from the city of Gath. Do you know who else was from Gath? Goliath was from Gath. Why in the world would 600 buddies of Goliath want to be the bodyguards for David who killed Goliath? Because David conducted himself in such a way that everyone loved him. Saul's son, Jonathan, who was 25 years older than David and should be the heir apparent to the throne of Israel, loved David and made a covenant with him that when you're king, let me be your right-hand man. How do you pull that off? But by doing good to all men. Hiram, king of Tyre, the richest city in the world at the time. Hiram, the Bible says, was always a lover of David. How do you pull that off? A pagan king, Hiram, 600 Gittites, swearing by the Lord Jehovah to be the bodyguards for David. Jonathan, the heir apparent, wanting David to be the next king, and Jonathan would be his servant. How do you do it? Galatians 6.10. Let's embrace it. Inside the church, outside the church. Fourth time. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Of course, we should make a discriminating difference, and that is that with one another, we show the greatest favor, the greatest patience, the most love, the most tenderness, and the greatest care for their well-being. This is the word of the Lord. It may sound like a social gospel, but I'll tell you that if society would keep this verse, society would improve. But it's not a social gospel. It's the apostolic gospel of the Apostle Paul. He repeats his message in his epistles, and it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we turn to Matthew chapter 22 and find out a simple fact about our religion. It only has two commandments. And upon those two commandments hang all the other commandments. If you read Exodus chapter 20 last evening, verses 1 through 17, they are one of the two passages in the Old Testament containing the Ten Commandments. You saw, because I encouraged you, in those Ten Commandments to see that the first four are called the first table of the law in that they apply to us Godward, no other gods. Thou shalt not use the Lord thy God's name in vain. You'll remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy because it's under the Lord thy God. No graven images, no images of anything, North will you bow down to them. Then you had the second table of the law. The next six commandments are toward man. Starting with parents because it's the first relationship we meet with in life. Honor thy father and thy mother, then kill, adultery, bear false witness, covet, and so forth. And you have steal. You have your Ten Commandments. It all hangs on two. God, man. Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, 
6. Master, a lawyer. Lawyers always want to play with words. This lawyer asked Jesus a question, tempting him. He wasn't seeking the truth. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, and Jesus said this in numerous places, and this is found numerous places in the Bible. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets are a way of describing the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament and all of its commandments hangs on two laws. Loving God, loving others. How should we love God? With all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. With the passion that Philip described earlier. With everything we've got. He's always first. We love Him first. We love Him most. We love Him best. We love Him most sacrificially. We seek and pursue Him with the greatest passion. How should we love our neighbors? As we already love ourselves. The world differs with us on this point because they're ignorant and they worship at the altar of humanism. And so they believe that self-love, self-esteem are good things. They're not good things. They're terrible things. They destroy the Christian's life to love yourself, to esteem yourself. The Bible tells us to love others, to prefer others in honor, to esteem others above ourselves, to consider their things more important than our things. Jesus said, learn to love your neighbor as yourself because that's the highest measure of love. He didn't have to say, love your neighbor with the second most, second best of your heart because you're giving the first to God. All he had to do was say, love your neighbor as yourself because that accomplished the same purpose. We already love ourselves so much. So we need to learn to love others that way. Look at James chapter 2. I hope you read it last evening. I hope you thought about it, and I hope that my very short little hint as to what you could look for in these 13 verses helped you see the point I want to make right now. Relationships are opportunities. People are opportunities. And I want you to embrace every person you know, every person you meet as an opportunity. As we have, therefore, opportunity. Galatians 6.10, James 2. Now, we, we don't have very much time. We don't need time for this subject. We just need a few reminders. But the time is fleeing fast. So, very quickly, this passage starts off in verses 1 through 7 of James writing and saying that the faith or the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ does not include respective persons. We make no difference once a person shows their faith and love and zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what income they have. It doesn't matter what house they live in. It doesn't matter whether they're ugly or not. It's because they love the Lord Jesus Christ and so they're blood-bought brothers and sisters with us. We don't make a difference. And so verse 1 of James 2, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respective persons. I hope that by my tone, you were able to understand the verse. Don't mix 
the religion of Jesus Christ along with respecting people. So it's partiality that's under consideration here when a church has members favoring members that are their friends or that they grew up with or that are more like them in personality or more like them in profession. There shouldn't be partiality in the church. Now the, par- the only partiality that can be justified are those that are the, the best brothers, the good brothers, the spiritual brothers. The Bible says to be a lover of good men. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 8. And so the more carnally minded you are, the less friends you're going to have in a spiritually minded church. And the longer you continue carnally minded against all the preaching, against the Word of God, against the Holy Spirit, against the example of the rest of the church, the more the church intuitively marks you. Because you're not one of them. You're not one of us. You're an unfruitful tree and the Lord's going to cut you down. And we'll be thankful the day you're gone. If you're someone like that. But look at this. Verse 10. James 2.10 For whosoever shall keep the whole law, 718 commandments, written in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Remember, context is our master when we study Scripture. What one point is under consideration here because of the context? Partiality. Respect of persons in the house of God. It's not part of Jesus' religion. If we were to look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and His ministry, what kind of people did He associate with? Publicans and prostitutes. Tax collectors and prostitutes. New Testament terminology. Publicans and harlots. That's who He would eat with. Those are the ones that followed Him. They were the ones that pressed into the kingdom of heaven. He did not mingle with the seminary trained lawyers and the scribes and the Levites and the priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Herodians. He avoided all seven categories of men by those descriptions because they were dangerous to the truth. I want you to understand what it's saying right here. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Verse 9, if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Verse 11, for he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. We can't say these commandments I, I agree with. The, the people that break these commandments are great sinners, and I would never do that while you've got your own little pet sin over here. And you say, well, I'd never kill anybody, and I wouldn't commit adultery. Well, that's why Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 5 that for you to even call your brother a fool or to be angry at your brother without a cause, you have broken the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Every one of you's murdered. You're not hiding it from God or the rest of us. We all know that we're murderers. If you've ever been angry at your brother without a justifiable cause, you've broken the sixth commandment. If you've looked on a woman to lust after her, you've broken the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And so goes James. He says in verse 12, So speak ye, 
And so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. The law of Moses no longer condemns us because Jesus fulfilled it. But the law of Moses is still our moral guide on how we should treat each other. Verse 13, For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What is the mercy here? Mercy toward the poor. Mercy toward the poor. If you didn't show mercy toward the poor in this context of 13 verses, then you're going to get judgment without mercy. Because in God's sight, guess what you are? Rich or poor? You're poorer than a church mouse. You're poorer than anyone else you've ever shown despite toward. Brethren, do you remember how the epistles are divided? The first half of an epistle, like Romans chapters 1 through 11, will be about the grace and mercy of God, and commencing with verse 1 of chapter 12, after chapter 11, ends with an amen. Therefore, we're supposed to give our bodies a living sacrifice. The book of Ephesians, same thing. First three chapters about the doctrine of God and the grace of salvation. Then bang, chapter 4, verse 1, on how we ought to live toward others. If I were to show you the book of Proverbs, out of the 915 verses of Proverbs, there are verses toward God, and there are many verses toward one another. Because the book of Proverbs is wisdom on how to function in a world filled with other people. Let's remember these things. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and be reminded of recent preaching on Goss living. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 31 through 33. My wife and I received an interesting text by a family in this church following along behind a supply truck, a delivery truck for Greenville Office Supply because they saw Goss on it. Timothy, Goss. Everything we do should be for the glory of God so that we don't offend others, that we might save others to the knowledge of the truth. G-O-S, Goss. New word. Don't look for it in a dictionary. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God, number one. Verse 32, Give none offense, Neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Oh, verse 33, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. To save. So we have the word S. You know, this topic that I'm dealing with right now, the reminder that I want to give you today, the upbeat, positive presentation of it, is for you to collect all these thoughts together and to look at your life as an opportunity, not as a burden. Some of you look at a public gathering as a burden because you have terrible habits. You have a wicked personality. You have made a choice that you don't like gatherings. It's a choice to like them. I don't like them. You know, what a job did I get? So you make a choice. I'm going to like them because Jesus chose to like them himself and he told me to like them. So get over it. It's childish fear. You're an infant. You're single digits in maturity. It's the same as if you're on your, a high dive diving board for the first time in your life. A 10 meter board is 33 feet in the air. From 200 yards away, looking at that diving board over the water, I can do that. No problem. No problem. No problem. What do you think I am? 
Well, climb the ladder. Climb the ladder and walk out on the end of that thing and look down and 33 feet looks like it's about 33 stories. But you've just watched a thousand other kids, if you're a kid and you're facing this dilemma, or adults go off the board, none of them are hurt, because as long as you position your body decently, and even if you don't, it's just going to be red for a couple of days. <laughs> you can enter the water and it's not going to hurt you. Jump! So my message today is leap in with the rest of us. Embrace one another. Talk to one another. Today, before today ends, talk to five more people than you would ordinarily talk to on the Lord's Day. Just go. You can do it quickly. It doesn't have to be long. Just encourage them in the Lord. Say it's good to see you here. I appreciate this about your life. Think about something good going on in their life and say something to them about it. See if you can talk to five different people. Don't hang around with the same ones. You're an infant. Grow up. We all need to grow up. We need to grow up into the Lord Jesus Christ. He spent His whole life doing this. Last Lord's Day, part of the lesson was from Matthew chapter 25, where the goats will be put on the left hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sheep will be put on the right. And you know the distinguishing difference between the two categories of men. The distinguishing difference between the two categories of men is how they treated other people. It wasn't even how they treated God directly. It's how they treated each other. If you've, did, if you've done these things to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me, the king's going to say on his throne, and you're going to be on his right hand. He's going to call you his sheep, and he's going to take you into his kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It doesn't get any better than that, and it doesn't get any simpler than that. Right. Embrace it with me. Amen. As you have, therefore, opportunity. Opportunity sitting all around you. Don't let them get away. I'll keep them trapped for a while. Don't let them get away. Say something to someone else. What if everyone did that? Then we would be fulfilling the Word of God. Amen. We would, it would bear fruit in our lives. Others would see and know that the love of Christ is among us. Because Jesus said, and this is part of the opportunity, all men shall know that ye are my disciples by the love ye have one to another. Right. It's not by the love ye have toward them, that is, others watching, It's the love you have among yourselves. Because everybody knows it's easy to love a stranger. It's harder to love someone that you know their faults and weaknesses and sins. That's the hard part. Lord, have mercy upon us. Look at Matthew chapter 5. I've just mentioned this in a different context a moment ago, but I want to show it to you now. The importance of this matter. The importance of what I'm preaching to you today. And it's going to be simple and light and, and hopefully end on time. The second service is going to be even simpler. We're going to have a handout. And I'm going to give you pens. And we're going to fill it out together. And we're going to remind ourselves of the opportunity that faces us everywhere. Everywhere we turn. We have an opportunity. Matthew chapter 5. Do you understand that if you don't keep your relationships good and better, your worship is ruined? Matthew 5, verse 23. Jesus is speaking here in His Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar. Notice, this is a religious person bringing a gift to the altar of God. And there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Drop your gift. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, 
be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Notice the order of God's religion. Making sure every relationship is right before you pretend that you have a relationship with Him. Lord, help us. Does it say in 1 Peter 3, 7 that a husband that doesn't love his wife, his prayers will be hindered? It says it. Does it say in Malachi chapter 2 that an abused, oppressed, neglected woman, when she cries, all of her tears are collected by God, and so when you come to the altar, He doesn't take your sacrifices because His altar is covered with the tears of your wife. Okay. Let's make sure our marriages are the way they should be. That's why I've been preaching on it recently. Much of my life as a pastor is spent worrying, praying, and exhorting about relationship problems and issues. It doesn't mean very much if you believe the truth, because the devils and many in hell believe the truth. What are we going to do about the truth, and how are we going to show it to others? When we do this, when we do good to all men, especially those that are the household of faith, we glorify God, we adorn the gospel, we defend the truth, we show grace in our lives, and we profit other people. Never forget John the Baptist's ministry to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by restoring fathers and sons. Malachi chapter 4, last two verses of the Bible, uh, New, Old Testament, last two verses of the Old Testament, Luke one seventeen, restoring family relationships. Remember, what, what's a prime purpose for assembling? We need to look at that. Hebrews chapter 10. I can tell you right now, very quickly, it's not to see me. There's another prime purpose for getting together. Yes, we have the preaching of God's Word in our assemblies, and we should, but there, there, there's an emphasis in the Bible that's a little different than some people think. You know, if you grew up a Catholic, all you do is go in, take a seat, wait for 60 minutes, then get up and leave. As long as you had a stopwatch, you would leave on time. It's all by a church liturgical outline of what's to take place that day. They just go in, they watch the charade up front, and then they leave and go out. But you know, that's not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ at all. You, well, I read to you Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. It doesn't sound like a Catholic church whatsoever. Man, these people are eating together in their homes, and they're praising God, and it's all communal, and they're sharing things, and they don't need someone to tell them to do it. They just do it. Because someone inside's telling them to do it. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Was that in Acts chapter 2? Yes, it was. They continued in the apostles' doctrine steadfastly. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another. This is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ right here. Let us consider one another. We gotta think about each other. We gotta think about what's going on in their life, their life, their lives. What's going on in that family? What are they dealing with right now? Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. When you come to church, when you're a church member, you don't just assemble, you have a duty toward other people to provoke them to love and to good works. You wanna stir them up. And help them toward more good works in their lives and greater love toward Christ and toward one another. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but listening well to the preacher. No, it doesn't say that here. The only verse in the Bible that specifically addresses assembling, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. 
And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The two things that are being compared are forsaking the assembly, and these people aren't exhorting one another. You've got to come into the assembly to exhort one another. That's why, we, that's why we get together. It's not, yes, there's preaching. Yes, there's singing. But we want to exhort one another. We want to embrace one another and talk to one another. Don't just, don't just hang with your clique. Don't just hang by yourself. Don't hang off in a corner because you're terrified of people. Jump off the high dive. The Holy Spirit compared the church to a body with its different parts being motivated by one spirit. We're going to have the Olympics in a couple of months. And you're going to see some of the most finely tuned bodies in the history of the world. They'll be setting world records, which means that their arms and their legs, their neck, their core, and all of it is going to be superbly conditioned, trained, prepared, and it's being motivated by one spirit directing every part. Usain Bolt is going to be going for a triple in the 100 meters to prove that he's truly the world's fastest man, and we haven't seen anyone like him until the next druggie comes along. But he is going to be, I don't know that, maybe I shouldn't have said that, Forgive me, Usain. I'm sorry that so many other teammates are being caught right now. They're finely tuned bodies. Every part. Oh, there is no weakness. If their weakness is in the start, they have been trained in that start so many times that bang! When that gun goes off, sometimes the electronic device in their starting blocks says it was a false start when it wasn't because they learned to react so quickly. But all of that is a finely tuned body with one Holy Spirit. And you have one Spirit in your physical body, so you know how that functions. And we want to be that way. And when a Spirit's in a church body, we need every part of it functioning. And if part of it doesn't function, the Lord will cut that part off and grow us a new one. And He's done it for 36 years, and we're thankful for Him doing that. But let's think about a finely tuned body requires you and your part. You and your joint. What are you contributing to winning a 100 meters by a finely tuned body and all parts working together? As the left leg drives forward, so does the right arm to keep the body motionless in its core, driving toward the finish line. The whole, the whole subject is, Thus saith the Lord, it's not my idea what a church should be like. It's thus saith the Lord. Every one of you, when you have your family together, when that whole family is loving each other and talking about each other and praising each other, commending each other, forgiving each other, and they're just joyful and thankful and happy, thank you, Mom and Dad, for putting this meal together and having us all here. We love being here. That's just so much pleasure. It's how we give pleasure to God. This is His family. This is His church. We're not going to celebrate the Lord's table today. We did last Lord's Day. But we want to be a family like that for the Lord. What person have you ever met that God didn't want you to meet? It's your opportunity. And you can do it because I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If you tell me you can't do it, then you're lying against the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.13. How many things do you think there were that Paul said, I can't do it? He said, I can do all things. Thank you. Oh, what an opportunity it is. It's an opportunity to show the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, by the love ye have one to another. Look at Proverbs 19 and verse 11. You want to be a glorious man? Here's an easy way to be glorious. 
Because it's, you're going to get lots of opportunities to show whether you're glorious or not. Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man. Discretion is, discretion is knowing what to do and when to do it and how to do it. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. That means he doesn't get angry right now. He puts it off and lets it dissipate. And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. When somebody transgresses against you, and that's all the transgressions we're supposed to pass over, when the transgressions are against God, we don't pass over them. We deal with them scripturally. But when somebody offends you, you know, they slap you on one cheek, you give them the other. They want a coach, you give them a cloak. The Roman soldier wants you to haul his equipment a mile, you haul it two miles. It doesn't hurt. Do good. When they want a mile, give them two. You say, well, I'd never get anything done. What do you, how do you know that? I say you're going to get more done by going two miles than one mile. Do you know why? Because God's going to blow with you instead of against you. Because after you've heard this sermon, you don't do it. God's going to blow against you. But if you'll do it, God will blow for you. And you'll get more done by going two miles with the Roman soldier. It's the truth of God's word right here. People are going to offend you. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to irritate you, anger you. But what are you supposed to do? Pass over it. Pass over it and you're a glorious person. That's why I said it's an opportunity. What if everybody was perfect around you? Do you know what you wouldn't have an opportunity for? Being glorious. When you Listen, when all your friends are nice and kind and loving and serving and hospitable and having you over and they always send you cards and hug you and kiss you, give you a little peck on the cheek and tell you how wonderful you are and you're just the best thing since sliced bread and just on and on they go, you can't even show yourself glorious. It's when they offend you, irritate you, disappoint you, upset you, don't keep their words. Then you get to pass over it and you get to be glorious. Lord, help us to see this. You know, it's all about winning. I want you to win souls, Proverbs 11.30. He that winneth souls is wise. I want you to win favor, Proverbs 22 and verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor than silver and gold. You can win. Friends. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. If you're truly friendly, you'll have so many friends, you won't know what to do with them all. If you don't have that many friends, then you're not friendly, and it doesn't matter what you think about your friendliness. You're not friendly by God's definition of the word. Let's be friendly by God's definition. How can you ever help a David? Jonathan helped David. David was hiding in the woods. 1 Samuel 23 and verse 16 says that Jonathan went into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. It'd be discouraging to be in the woods hiding when you're the heir, when you're the anointed king of Israel. How can you be a Jonathan? Go after somebody and lift them up in the Lord with a sentence or two. You know, you've got the perfect device that now says that you only have to give a few words and it's considered communication. Are you with me? Folks, you've got it. I don't. You've now got little electronic devices that everybody understands that if you only send them a few words, it's appropriate. You don't have to communicate with sentences anymore. Nobody believes in sentences anymore. You don't even have to use English letters. You can use numbers. You know, in one letter, for you. And that's supposed to mean F-O-R and then Y-O-U. See how easy it is? You can text. Text somebody and strengthen their hand in God. I'm so glad to be a member of the Church of Greenville because you are. Wow! What's that person going to do for the next five minutes? Walk on air. It's so easy. 
but you can strengthen a hand in God. I have used this illustration a number of times with people recently in their relationships. Solomon gave 22,000 oxen to dedicate his temple and 120,000 sheep. Because it was impossible to slaughter and light a fire under so many animals, God dropped the fire down from heaven and consumed the offering. How many in here have 22,000 oxen? You can't do that for the Lord. But do you know what's even better than that? To overlook the fault of someone that offends you. All Solomon did was write a check on a checking account that could have paid for 22 million oxen. That's all he did. But we look at the 22,000 oxen and we think, I'll never be able to give the Lord anything like that. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that when you submit to a froward boss, that's an obnoxious, disappointing, lying, abuseful, abusive boss, you do something that's thankworthy in the sight of God. You don't need 22,000 oxen. You need thick skin. You need thick skin and a cheerful heart. With a cheerful heart and thick skin, you can give the Lord more than Solomon writing some little dinky check on a massive bank account on Swiss banks. Come on. What an exciting opportunity. Wives, you can't do it till he's a little irritating. Husbands, you can't do it till she's a little irritating. Then you can give the Lord a sacrifice. Jesus said, I didn't come into this world to be ministered unto. I came into this world to minister unto people. And he said, that's what you apostles ought to be like. And if the apostles, the highest gift ever given to the church, were supposed to be servants to all the rest, what about you? What about me? Let's be like the Lord Jesus Christ. He was always serving. He was the high king of heaven. Everybody should have been serving him. But he was the servant. Let's be servants. We're God's children by love, goodness, and pity. And let's show that. Look at Matthew chapter 5. We've been there twice now this morning because it's the Sermon on the Mount and it's Jesus teaching us how we ought to live. It's the true rules of Christianity. This is about how we show that we're the children of God. Verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said. This is what the Jewish traditions were. This is not the law of Moses. This is Jewish tradition. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That is not in the Bible. That's Jewish tradition of the elders. Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. I've taught these verses so many times. I teach them again this morning. This is the religion of Jesus Christ. Even your enemies you're supposed to love. You're you're supposed to do good to all men, including, did it say do good in Galatians 6.10? As you have therefore opportunity to do good unto all men. Did it say do good? Do we have a do good here in verse 44 right in the middle? Do good to them that hate you. So in the all men of Galatians 6.10, it includes those that hate us or you. For he... 
maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain the just and the unjust. Jesus, I mean, the Lord God of heaven gives us an example. Verse 46, For if he love them which love you, listen, Jesus was cuts right to the point. If ye love them that love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? The treasonous betrayers of our nation that collect taxes for the Roman government, that's how they operate. They'll love somebody that loves them. Verse 47, And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? So when you meet an enemy, or you're passing some in the church that you don't think you're getting along with very well, give them a warm embrace and a welcome. When you're out in public and you meet somebody, you're going to... Have you ever met a person that God didn't want you to meet? You're going to meet people out there from time to time in situations, and it's your opportunity to embrace them, say something nice to them, greet them kindly. Verse 48 describes this kind of conduct as, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. How is He perfect? He extends grace, goodness, kindness, faith, uh, love toward all men, including His enemies with His Son and His reign. We can do the same. Failures or forwardness by others just give you another aspect of an opportunity. Who's your neighbor? It's the least likely person that you would think of as your friend. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, just give me a few more minutes. Listen, I'll just leave the rest unsaid because you've heard it so many times. I just want to, I'm just convicted today for a number of reasons that we need a reminder. And I want a New Testament church so bad in the way that we treat each other and we keep the two rules of our religion. Luke 10, here's another lawyer trying to trip Jesus up about the words of the Word of God. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so they go into the first and the second commandment and so forth. And the lawyer says in verse 29, But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Since the second commandment that pleases God is loving our neighbor as ourself, the lawyer said, Who is my neighbor? Who do you want your neighbor to be? I'd like my neighbor to be my wife, and that's the biggest neighborhood I want to live in. Does that make scriptural sense? Can I say that my wife is my neighbor? She lives pretty close to me. I can call her my neighbor. And by nature, that's as big of a neighborhood as I like. I'm confessing my faults. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. I would name some cultural segment of our society, but I don't want to offend anyone, so I won't. Just think about someone you can't stand. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. When the Jews really wanted to get low down and dirty against the Lord Jesus Christ, they called him a Samaritan. Jesus answered this lawyer and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Here's a wounded Jew in a ditch. A priest came by, passed by on their side, didn't do anything about it, didn't want to get involved, didn't have time to take care of the wounded Jew. A Levite does the same thing. Verse 32, passes by on their side. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, 
came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Look at these words. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, lawyer, I have a question for you. Which now of these three, priest, Levite, and Samaritan, thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Do you know what that lawyer was going to have to do from then on? He was going to have to help wounded Samaritans in ditches. A wounded Samaritan beside the road with a flat tire, you're you're going to help them. You know, it's an act of God. Falling into the hands of robbers is an act of God. We don't go around helping people that aren't acts of God, that are acts of negligence, foolishness, wastefulness, slothfulness. The Bible teaches us all these different rules and restraints on, on charity, but that's who your neighbor is. The person that you would last like to think of as your neighbor. So the Lord cuts right to the chase, gets right down to where the rubber meets the road. Lord, help us. And isn't that what we just read in Matthew chapter 5? Love your enemies. Jesus said, you're wrong, you, you Jewish leadership, for teaching that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I say love your neighbor and do good to them that hate you. Do good to the Samaritans. Don't be like the priest and the Levite. You know, you get to start at home by desiring the best for others and praying for them over yourself. A wonderful little statement was made at the ladies' meeting this past week about that very fact. If you want the Lord to have mercy in your life, then pray for others. The more you pray for yourself and the less you pray for others, the Lord is not going to answer your prayers because you're violating one of the basic fundamental aspects of your relationship to other people. All of their needs are more important than yours, so you should be praying for their needs above your needs. By praying for their needs, God will take care of your needs. That is so simple. It is so scriptural. It is so basic. And anyone that has the Holy Spirit of God thinks that way intuitively. Why would you want to pray for yourself? When he said, if you'll seek God's kingdom and righteousness first, I'll take care of all these things for you. So why does that that become urgent? Pray for everyone else. He'll see that affection that you're fulfilling his word, and he'll show affection and kind back to you. You've got to get over thinking about yourself. Always think about other people. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. These are such simple points that we've been over so many times. I just want to remind you of them and quit. Not my ministry yet, but quit today's sermon. Jesus said it. I believe it. It's the red writing in Acts 20 and verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm thankful for a mother that taught me about the word joy when I was young. And I've told you all these things. I know that. Jesus, others, and you. J-O-Y. That's truly truly the way to be happy. The unhappiest times in my life were always the most selfish times in my life. The happiest times in my life were always the most giving times in my life. I've proved it true, but the Lord Jesus Christ taught it, and that's all you really need, and that's all I really preach, is what does the Bible say? And so what I'm saying today is, as you have therefore opportunity, do good unto all men. You say, well, if I'm always doing good, I won't get good. Oh, you think so? Try it your way. 
You've already tried it your way. That's why you have no friends. Do good. And the byproduct is going to be, it's going to come around to you. Whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. And you're going to reap it from heaven. But who even cares about reaping it? Just the privilege of serving like the Lord Jesus Christ served. Is Jesus Christ ever going to get back adequate compensation for laying down His life for you and me? He's exalted at God's right hand, but you're not going to give it to Him. He did it out of love and devotion to His Father in heaven. So many things that we could say. Never think about what you can get or should get or did not get from others, for you are last. It's so simple. You're the last. You're the least. You're the least important person in this whole room. You're the least important person in any room. That's why the Bible says, Old Testament, New Testament, Solomon, Jesus, when you're invited to a a wedding anniversary, or you're invited to a wedding or a marriage, take the lowest seat. Sit over in a corner on on a trash can turned upside down. And then... When the master of ceremonies comes and gets you and takes you by the hand and puts you at the table of honor, he's going to do that in front of all the assembled guests. The Lord said, and you know, that's how some people would get motivated, that they want to sit at the table at the front. And, you know, let's just go ahead and say that that's how we all feel. And so we're sitting on our upside down trash can. The Lord comes or the, the master of ceremony puts you at the table of honor. But now if you go up to the table of honor on your own because you think you're important, and the master of ceremonies has to say, hey, hey, bud, you know, these are assigned seating up here because these are important people. Let me help you find a seat. Then he takes you back and kicks over a trash can and puts you on it. That is really ugly. That is what the Bible teaches in both Testaments. Right. And you say, that's a better illustration than you ever tell. Amen. Okay. We agree on something. You can do these things, brethren. I can do them. If you're in authority and you're overbearing on those under your authority, you're like Rehoboam. The Bible says that a prince that doesn't have understanding is a great oppressor. Let's not be great oppressors. Let's be great lovers. Let's be merciful. And let's show mercy like our Father in heaven shows us. There's many, many more things I prepared to say, could say, but I won't say, because I've said them all before, and they'll all be available in an outline. We're going to take our break. And brethren, we're going to take our break. Do you know what that means? That means I can no longer protect you. Because until I say amen, I am protecting you. Nobody's supposed to be talking or writing notes or texting or tweeting in this assembly. But as soon as I say amen, you're all free game. Jump off the high dive. Just go say something to a couple of other people that you might not ordinarily do. And let's do good to all men. Let's, you know, we need to practice a little bit. So we go out in the workplace tomorrow. Mark, you're going to go down to Clemson University tomorrow? Yes. You're going to do good unto all men. I believe that about you. You're just going to do a little bit better. I'm so excited about some that are traveling. Mark just got back from St. Louis. I hope you did good to your mother. Hope you did good to Sammy Catanzaro. Zach is about to take off at the end of this next week to go be with his family. Zach's going to win his brother named John. If the Lord will. Every time you go someplace, every time you do something, I think about the people that you're going to meet. I'm very excited about this verse that tells me it's a great opportunity. And we want to show the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ with everyone we meet. Be like a David. Where are your Gittites? Be like a David. Who's your Hiram? 
Let's be like the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul and the church that was in Jerusalem. They found favor with the people by the way they conducted themselves. And then they had a great time worshiping with each other. It was win, 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 and it can be for us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.